Hi, my name is Blue, and I'm the host of this new podcast, The 21st Century Teacher, with Livid Earth. And my job is to ensure that our teachers and students get the most out of our programs. This new podcast series is just one of the ways I'm going to be supporting our community of educators with a monthly conversation with a special guest educator discussing a different aspect of 21st century teaching and learning. A reminder that if you're a teacher in British Columbia, the Yukon or the Northwest Territories, thanks to focused education resources, you now have access to our blended learning library for K-7 teachers. If you would like more information about our programs, please visit our website, liveit.earth. Today, I'm talking with Jen Giffen, who is known for her expertise in the field of education technology and innovation. She is a dynamic and passionate educator dedicated to transforming the world of education through the integration of technology and innovative teaching methods. With a career spanning over two decades, she has made a profound impact on the educational landscape, inspiring both educators and students alike. Jen has worked as a teacher librarian and former curriculum and digital literacy consultant in the York Region District School Board in Ontario, Canada. She has a Bachelor's of Education from Queen's University and a Master's of Education in Curriculum Teaching and Learning from the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education at the University of Toronto. Jen is a Google Innovator, a Microsoft Innovative Educator, Apple Teacher, HP Teaching Fellow, Student Voice Ambassador, Sketchnoter, Mum of Three Boys, and she's a co-host of a podcast called Shucks and Gif. So I would like to start today by acknowledging that I am here in the Slocan Valley, just north of Nelson, and this is the actual, actually the unceded traditional territory of the Sinaik, the Silk, and the Tanaha, and as well it's home to around 5,000 of the Métis Nation. Um, and today I'm very excited to welcome Jen Giffen to the show. And Jen, thank you. I know you're so such a busy person, mum of three and a teacher and all the things. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak today. Well, thank you. I want to acknowledge that I am on the land of two treaties. Uh, the treaties have been signed with the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation and the First Nation of the Williams Treaty, who are the Mississaugas of Alderville, Curve Lake, Hiawatha, Scugog Island, and the Chippewa, Beausoleil, Rama, and Georgina Island. Uh, to honor the agreement that we have with the land, I want to acknowledge the connection that we have with that land through continued relationship and support with the First Nations that I mentioned. And I... And Jen is live coming from the school, so very real teaching happening at the other end. Right, I'm on my lunch. Um, I also want to acknowledge that we have a shared responsibility to respect and care for the land and waters for future generations. Thank you for having me. That's lovely. Thank you so much, Jen, for sharing that. And let's start with, we've already been talking a little bit before recording um, around technology, and that there's so much now, so many tools that we can access. I'm wondering, can you share a pivotal moment in your career, if you can think of there, if there was one time when you saw the transformative power of technology in education, and what did you learn from that experience, and how has it shaped your approach to ed tech? Well, there's a whole bunch of different things. I, I think if I went back to the, the very first one, I go to Edmodo, which which came to me before Google Classroom. And so 
innately at school classroom. And that idea that we could have this really simple classroom virtually where I could share messages to students who weren't necessarily in class at the time, who I could send documents home to. Parents could come in and see what was going on without having to make the phone calls. I could automate emails home to parents and whatnot. Um, Students could ask questions. And if I wasn't there, other students could answer. And I was just like, this is huge. And I've always been a second wave adopter. I see someone else using it. I sit back, I watch, I watch, I watch. And then in that sort of the second round, I'm like, I'm all in. Like I'm diving fully clothed into the deep end. I'm like, I'm doing this. Here I go. And that was Edmodo for me. And then I think the next semester that that fall, you know, Google, we really started becoming a like a Google workspace for education or at the time, like a G apps, a Google apps um, yeah. district. And watching too the, the power of just Google Docs and the fact that students could open up and in real time give each other feedback. And I was like, Whoa. like, I think back to 1996 when I got my first email address and I was at Queen's University. Yeah math on my age. And I was emailing a friend who was at school just outside Montreal. And he emailed me back right away. And we were like, we are on at the same time. This is crazy. And like it, it was mind boggling. Whereas my my children now are like, yeah, it's called texting mom, relax. Um, but it was crazy. And that was that was Google Docs for me to see that power of as an English teacher at the time that, you know, that just in time feedback. And I could jump into a kid's when they were writing in class and from my desk, instead of going around and being like, Hey, I'm looking at this, like, and just sort of pop in and be like, what are you working on? Give feedback. You know, the student who's not going to raise their hand in class and ask a question who could, I, I had certain kids that would just leave a document open and they would ask me and that. So I'd always have it, you know, on my eyesight because they're not going to raise their hand. So, you know, the accessibility of that too is, is incredible. And then of course, you know, I, I love Microsoft flip and that did a lot for me with, you know, my own kid. And we talked about that beforehand um, and with students here and then most recently chat GPT, like it, I remember vividly, it is a core memory for me where I was standing, who told me it was November the 7th in my school. I was talking to this guy, Gary, I work with, he's like, Jen, have you seen this? And I was like, tell me more. No. And we, I came in and I started and I was like, this is this is, this is it. Like, this is a pivotal moment with technology. So all of those things, and, and you'll notice, I think the, the theme that, that weaves all of these together is this idea of collaboration and amplification of voice and, and automation, um, making things easier. Like, so that whole smarter, not harder work ethic and all of them have just been like, yeah, this this is going to connect and this is going to make us stronger. Now they will all come, of course, with you know certain concerns and and privacy yeah. and the idea like, oh, we have Google Docs and who's to say another kid's not going to go in and write their whole thing and they're all yeah. essay for them. I'm like, okay, well, maybe we need to rethink that essay then. That's what we need to do. So yeah. um, there's a lot, but those are, those are probably the big ones that I, I've seen off the top of my head just through through my you know couple decades of of teaching. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And chat GPT just before it was only in the last couple of weeks, actually, from speaking to Alec Kuros, um, who I know that you, you're, you know, of. yeah, it kind of blew my mind and I've been quite resistant to it, but actually I'm realizing I'm in my forties and I don't want to get left behind. So I've been very mindful actually in just the last week to use it in the way right? that I would traditionally use Google because it's, there's another layer to it. It's really, yeah, I'm finding it fascinating, but I think it's really I think we need to embrace it and just learn how to, how to use it. You can't like the genie's out of the bottle. Like we're not yeah. putting it back in I hate to yeah. tell you, like as much as you want to say like, Oh, we're not going to let kids do this and I'm just going to ignore it. And it's going to be, no, Hey, 
Nope. We can't, can nope. we? Yeah. Nope. No. And I, I love that you, what you shared about Google Docs, because that was actually, for me, my first experience really in like being collaborating online in that way. And it just it blew, also blew my mind. Um, so you've been an advocate for create, creativity and innovation in education. Um, what are some of the most inspiring or innovative uses of technology in the classroom that you've come across recently? Um, and I think you've kind of mentioned some of some of those, you know, some of those moments. But yeah, how do you see these approaches changing the future of education? I think we're going to have to look more at what we're asking students to do and what our core skills are. So I listen, I don't want to stop thinking. And I think that's at, at the foundation. Everyone's biggest fear with AI is that we're not going to think anymore. It's, it's yeah. we're going to Wally, right? That Disney movie that I adore. And like, oh gosh, we're going to be that. We're going to be floating around and look, oh yeah, I want to wear, you know, blue clothes and then click a button and your red clothes turn blue. And I, I don't want to lose that. I don't want to lose the creativity. I don't want to, I, I don't want to stop thinking because I love thinking and I love exploring different options and topics. And so I think there's that, that really frightens people. But I think there's things you can do. Like if I think about myself as a as a traditional English teacher, I'm like, okay, we're going to learn something and write an essay on it. Like, I don't know that we're there. And I've I've been off that essay train for a really long time. Like I talk to most of my friends and I say to them, like grown adults in their 40s and like, when was the last time you had to write a five paragraph essay? And they laugh. I'm like, never. Like, why are we spending so much time? When was the last time you had to read Shakespeare? And I love Shakespeare. I was actually with friends last night, all teachers, and we were we were out for an adult beverage to catch up. And and we were talking about Shakespeare and and we're and one is teaching ninth grade English this year. And she's like, I'm not teaching it. She goes, I love it, but I don't think they're gonna love it. There's so many other voices that we can embrace and and whatnot. And I just I think that. ChatGPT has and and AI in general just has the affords us the luxury of of getting our answers quickly, which is good and, and not good. And I will acknowledge that, but I think I think differently now, and that's where we're headed. So it's not that I'm not thinking, but I'll give you an example. Last year, I had this incredible young lady doing a, a co-op in the library with me. She is she wants to be a teacher. She was a grade twelve student here. She'd done a whole bunch of co-ops, and. She wanted to be in the library and I called her and her friends were the crew from grade first day, grade nine. They were in here every day, right up to the end of grade 12. And so she's like, can I do a co-op in here? I'm like, absolutely. You want to be a teacher. And she has since she was little. Right. Let's show you a different way you can use a teaching degree that's not traditional in the classroom. And she was applying for this huge scholarship through RBC, the bank. And she's like, can you write me a reference letter? And I said, yep. And I really wanted to do well. And I'm like, I have all of this. And I was just, I felt overwhelmed. And I had this like perfection paralysis. I was like, here's what I'm going to do. So I dropped her, her CV into ChatGPT and point form notes that I'd taken just observational notes throughout the semester of things that she had done. Um, you know, lessons she taught displays, she'd put up interactions she'd had with some of our students and said, this is, I'm going to put them in. And I say, link these, here are my observations. Here's the CV, link them to show why she's deserving of a scholarship. And I showed her, I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. And so it came up with one. I'm like, mm, focus less on this, do this. It has to be shorter. And so I thought about it. I had to read everything. I, I tweaked it to meet my needs. We went through about five iterations of it. Then I threw it into Google Docs. She was in there with me right back to that, like we're there collaboratively. And I'm typing things out. And I'm like, oh, I wouldn't say it this way. I would go this way. And in about 20 minutes, we had a beautiful reference letter that would have taken me hours and hours and hours to do to do it justice and in the end she won a ten thousand dollar scholarship 
And that to me was so phenomenal. Now, I don't think it's because of my one letter, but even the thought process and her like sitting there with me being like, "Mm, yeah, that's not really what we did in that. Like it's more that. So I'm like, okay, let's reword it. And, you know, I see teachers just at at the, the base and the fundamentals, like instead of saying, write an essay about this, like let's have AI create an essay for us. And now let's take that and critique it. What worked for this? What didn't work? Why? What is good about this? What's not good about that? Like, you don't want to do things like I have a friend who went and had an interview yesterday. Like, I'm not going to open chat GPT in an interview and give those answers. So when I show up for the job, I'm like, I can't, I can't talk the talk, right? Or walk the walk, rather. I can only talk the talk when it's in front of me. But there's so many things that we can do. Like, we had to disseminate all this data last year. We interviewed 120 students about engagement and what engagement looked like in education so that we could inform our our practice for next year and, and our you know, we have a challenge of practice that we do every year and ours this year's around engagement and we're preparing and our principal's like, okay, go through all the answers and see if you can pull out like some common themes. And we're like, you know what? It's like, I don't think I have to do this. This is not because my own bias is going to come. Out. I'm going to be guessing, oh, that's more of a math thing. That's not the library or that's, that's art. And they do that well, because, you know, of course they're going to be more engaged than they're here anyway. So I just threw all the answers into chat GPT and I said, summarize this for me. And it came back with 17 points of the 120. I'm like, okay, that's too many. Can you actually come up with seven major themes? And they said, yeah, this is great. Or five, sorry, five major themes. And then from that, that I did it. My principal came over and was like, you're cheating. You're going to get in trouble. I'm like, I don't think I am. My principal's amazing. And she came over and she was like, Giff, how'd you do that so quickly? And I was like, well, I put it in chat GPT and this is what I did. And she's like, that's genius. Everyone do that right now. Because then instead of spending all this time trying to tease out the themes ourselves, we have this like unbiased, arguable, unbiased, like looking at data and throwing it back at us. And now we can actually get to the, to the heavy lifting and doing the work. Because then immediately in September's meeting, rather than being like, okay, this is what we saw. What do you think we should do? We now have our five themes and we've created professional learning communities around that. Pick your one and dive into it. So it just, it, it can really afford us the luxury of time, which in education, I always say is our currency, right? Yeah. We need more of it and that will give us that. So sort of- But you still need to be, you have to be critical thinking and still analyze the information you're getting and tweaking it i did just a, a thought i don't know if you've experienced this but when i'm doing it for a, more of a creative for creative reasons using chat gpt for writing and, and things like this i found that it's almost overwritten so i almost need to kind of put my own human spin on it otherwise you can almost tell that it's a chat gpt document um that's what i've noticed anyway even doing bios i actually i should have read it out I, I wrote a little bio using some of what's online on your own website. And then I put it into chat, chat GPT. I don't know if you've done this. Give me oh, a bio for Jen Giffen. Amazing. Yeah. But so detailed, very heavy on content. And it just, you read it. Yeah, and you're like, my biography. <laughs> yeah it was incredible. Uh, I highly recommend you do it. It would take too long to read it out on the podcast because it was quite, yeah, it's quite something. I was really impressed. Um, so oh, worth doing fun. for yourself. Um, but yeah, I just felt like it needed the human twist. Like it needed me to go in and kind of, and in the, so I didn't use that because there was so much yeah. information. I already had what I wanted, but I was just really curious, like what, what it would, how it would read. But yeah, that was my, that's been my experience so far with ChatGPT anyway. It can be a little bit overwritten and a little bit wordy. I, I do too. I, yeah, I find it's very wordy. Like I wanted um, directions for this activity. I had it in point form notes. I wanted yeah. to like put it out. I threw it into chat GPT. I'm like, put the, and it was like, oh my, God, I don't need a page of notes. I'm like, can you make this like three lines? <laughs> like, which is a good point. You can't, so you can ask chat GPT, can't you? To like reduce it, as you were saying, and cut it down to the number of themes that you want. 
which I think is really neat. Yeah. Um, so that being said, so how does tech support accessibility in the classroom? You've already kind of mentioned a couple of a couple of points on this, actually. But is there a stigma and is there a stigma to accessibility when you're using it in the classroom and, you know, using these different tools in different ways? Um, yeah, I want to say there's not a stigma like there used to be. And I think a lot of that is because we have these things, right? Like we have our cell phones. So a lot we can get away with a lot without people knowing. So for example, I was teaching a class this morning. They, um, it was family studies class and they were doing, um, they're, they're doing a sketch note of their carbon food print, they call it. And rather than just taking notes or doing something on Canva, which is another great way to do it. She wants them to really like think about it. And so she does these handwritten analog sketch notes with them. So I was just teaching them the sketch noting one-on-one and she came over to me at one point, the teacher, and she handed me her phone and she said, I have a student in here who's, um, uh, MLL, like multi-language learner, um, ESLA, so very, very little English at all. And so she's using a translation tool. I think she was using Microsoft Translate. I think that's which one it was. And she's like, if you could just like put this near you or carry it when you're going to walk, because I'm a big walker when I'm teaching to check in with the kids. Um, she goes, and what it does is as I'm speaking, it like transcribes everything I say in English. And then on his phone, it was transcribing into his home language. Like, it's in, And he was like, oh. Okay, this is great. And I could see him falling along. He would read and then he'd go and he would do the activity. So like that's accessibility at its best. Like that student wouldn't have been able to participate to the level he did without that. It was very discreet. Um, kids just thought I was carrying around my cell phone, which like, and which is totally normal. Um, had I known ahead of time, I would have just, I would have actually put in my AirPods and just had that so I could walk around without it. Um, I think things like that are really great. I know that my own my own kid, when he um, got his ADHD diagnosis, there was a lot that we did for accessibility. And just the idea of like, to me, I really love in Ontario that we're focusing now on like conversations and observations as much as we are products. So the fact that, you know, he writes a test, a teacher will come and be like, okay, sit and, and talk to me about this. And they're using tools like Microsoft Flip to be like, okay, go on to your thing. I can't talk to you right now, but he goes and he sits in the halls and when he can't write a full paragraph because, you know, his brain is on sentence eight and his hand is still on sentence one, he can go into sort of like verbally dump into this a flip grid topic and be like, okay, this is what I want to say to you about this. And the teachers can go back and see that. So I think there's a lot in there that can be done. And just in general, like AI in general has been baked into so many of our products without noticing it. Like you're writing a Gmail, like an email in Gmail. And what does it do? It finishes your sentence for you and things like that. Um, that's already there. And, and for some students without AI and without that kind of assistive technology, it's, it's inaccessible. Like their, their education is inaccessible. So that's not fair at all. So I, I think tech does a lot of that, um, to be able to make things a lot easier for students, be it like, you know, you and I talked about that, like Google keep or notes or whatever, like, I know that um, Google or Apple Reminders was something that we used with my son really early. He didn't want to write in an agenda. We, we knew it was not going to happen. So he had an iPad at school. And every day when his teacher would put the homework and everyone else would write in this agenda, he would go to his he would go to his iPad, he would go to reminders, and he would add a reminder and just take a picture of the board. And that reminders list was automatically linked with my phone. And my husband's phone. So when he got home, whichever one of us were there, we'd be like, okay, this is your homework for today. We wouldn't have to remind him, get it out of the bag and do this because like with his exceptionality, that just, that was more of a fight. And now we're, we're fighting you to do all this and then to fight you to get homework. So if we can take out some of those barriers with technology in that way, and that's just a really simple example, then why not, why not use it? Like to me, that's, that's a no brainer. 
Yeah, that's really neat, actually. Um, I hadn't thought. Um, yeah, I'm gonna remember that for my kids. I think that, that's a really neat one. In the advent of blended learning, what is the challenge of the modern library? I'm curious. And how is blended learning playing a role? And then I've got. I was thinking, why? Well, what are the challenges of a librarian? But at the same time, it feels to me, just from the little bit that I got to know you, that it's almost, it's kind of like a new lease of life as a librarian in a way, if you accept the tech tools. Like it sounds really exciting. Some of the stuff that you're doing, including the podcast, and I'm, I'd love for you to just mention a little bit about how you use that with the students, the podcasting, because sure. I'm a big podcast fan. Um, but yeah, yeah. Tell me about blended learning as a modern teacher librarian well, there's a there's a lot of things like the traditional like sit and shush and read books that you see in library learning commons is not there and i really like i don't really have a library i have a learning commons which someone someone when i first started here said they thought it was very pretentious because it's an everywhere common area to learn i'm like okay whatever um but i just i love that it's not just about that. Like I love to read. I I read. I'm on. Well, I'm slow this year. I think I'm on book 38 of the year. Last year I read like 65 books or something like that. And I'm an wow. audiobook um, user. So again, speaking yeah. about technology and um, technology and and accessibility and that. Yeah. Like there's absolutely no way I could sit and read a book. There's no way. I have. I'm too busy with the yeah. kids. My kids are in rep baseball. Like I'm at the diamond all the time. So when they're like before their games start, I'm listening to an audiobook. When I'm cooking, yeah. I'm listening to an audiobook that are podcasts or whatnot in the car or wherever I'm going. Like yeah. I used to have a fairly long commute, so I don't as much anymore. Anyway, um, as far as the challenges that I see, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, well, it's it's a dying, it's a dying field. And why would you want to be a library? Because no one wants print books anywhere. I'm like, that's not what my job is about. So like you you mentioned the podcasting equipment I got this equipment through a, a grant or through some funding from the province. And I started reaching out to teachers. I'm like, how can we move away from traditional writing pieces and have more, you know, performative pieces for some students or time where they're able to not just stand up and do a presentation. So I partnered with our a French teacher who used to be here has gone on to another school, but the, the assignment lives on and our grade 12 French students come pick a topic of whatever they want and we teach them about what podcasts are and they listen to a little bit and they create their own and they can during their their spare their lunch and their class can rent out this room or rent out this room like book the room they don't they don't have to pay anything um they come into this room and they i show them how to hook everything up and we have little qr codes all over they can scan if i'm not here and they need to learn in a pinch um and they record a French podcast. It has to be like five or 10 minutes long. And they have to, they have certain elements that they need to include. And then we did that the one year and I thought this is great. And I created little QR codes and a poster that when kids come in, they could scan them and listen. But then I started talking to the head, the new head of French the following year. And I said, listen, this is a really cool activity, but why don't we level it up a little bit? And after they record, because they do it fairly early um, to just sort of assess their, their oral communication, because they've been now speaking French for, you know, 12 years. Um, they we bring the ninth grade students in and they do we call it a podcast promenade and it's very fancy and they scan one of them they think they would like and they have to listen to it and as part of the assignment the grade 12s create certain questions to see if they understand what they're saying so now we can assess okay did the grade 12s express themselves clearly like how's their enunciation how's their pronunciation as like are you speaking too quickly but also then the grade nines comprehension is evaluated through that as well and it gives a reason that authentic audience, which I've always been like, you know, I was talking about authentic audiences for assessment since before it was a traditional thing to talk about. Um, and it gives them a reason to be like, okay, I won't want to do wellness because it's not just my teacher listening to it. It's, you know, 
possibly my neighbor or my younger brother or sister or cousin or just a kid in the hall. And while they may not care necessarily about all these, what these young kids, these younger kids things, these niners, um, they do want to represent themselves with integrity and show like, like I'm, I do good work, right? They, we have a really high academic standard here at the school and kids have a lot of pressure on themselves and put a lot of pressure on themselves. Um, so it's worked really well. So things like that, I see, I just look at like, okay, where, what can I do? Even things like I have a, a human library speaker series that I just invite a whole bunch of different people in. And, and because of the advent of the virtual and doing things like Zoom and Google Meet and whatnot, we can very easily get people. And now I don't love to do them virtually because I think the kids are just burnt out of looking at a screen. Um, but I can get people from all different walks of life in to speak to our students about things that they wouldn't have access to otherwise. And most of them volunteer. I'm like, I, can, I can't pay you, but I can give you a cool mug with the school logo on it. Um, and it's amazing. We reach out to our parent community and and we've had a number of parents come in and speak to different classes. And it's, it's really, it's really cool. There's a lot of things that we can do if we just look at, okay, how, what I find a tool that I like. I'm like, I always think I'm like, okay, how can I use this with yeah. a lesson with a, with a club? How can I like, there's, there's always something that I can do. And right now we're actually preparing, um, my co-librarian and I are going to prepare a little like mini AI as like for teachers and oh, just cool. do a little snippet, like send out a little like, Hey, did you know this? And like, if you don't want to create a slide deck from scratch, here's this. If, if you want yeah. leveled readers, check out Diffit. Um, Diffit is, Diffit.me is it? Diffit. And, you Google different, you find it. it was one like one of a big yeah. thing that came to ISTE. And it's it's fantastic. You're like, yeah, I need something on this and I want the level to be for like eighth graders. And then you might say, okay, I actually have a whole bunch of different levels in my classroom where you have one student like who has an exceptionality that's processing and you're like, okay, I, I need this topic or I need this content, but it needs to be a few grade levels lower so that they have accessibility. And no one knows because like I'm pushing these out on Google Classroom. Yours yeah. looks the same as me. We're all on our devices do because we're a one-to-one school, right? Everyone has their own. And no one's any the wiser. And we can all talk about what we're reading. And yeah, I just I I think it's a really cool way to get teachers to understand, okay, how are you going to use it? Because I think a lot of the apprehension around AI is like, oh, they're automatically just gonna copy and paste and do it. And if, yeah, if we can yeah, teach yeah. them, okay, how do you how how is it that you use it and how are you using it ethically? let's transfer those skills that we're using to our students. It's it's a lot of the unknown that we're scared of. Like I remember being a literacy teacher and talking about later literacy and, and getting kids to read. And how, how do we know that they're going to be successful and what strategies do we read? And I had to really do a lot of thought and like, what do I do when I read? Okay, well, when I read, I see like the, the movie playing in my head. And I was aghast early in my career to find out that some students don't have that. They don't see that movie in their head. They don't visualize at all. And it's like, wow, I have to, that's something I have to teach. I didn't realize that happened. So yeah, yeah. I think we explore it too. And that can be, you know, independent of our students, or I think there's a lot of benefit to doing it alongside our students, right? Like saying like, okay, let's dive into this. And what do we find? So, Yeah. What about being like, what, how do you approach digital citizenship in terms of like safety and like, where do you start with that? Cause it is a big, big, scary world. Parents too. I don't know if you have a lot of interaction with, you know, that concern that parents have yeah. as a parent, my 10 year old now has his own laptop at school. It's a school thing. So he it stays at school as well. But I was, I'm just coming around to it. Like the idea of my 10 year old with an iPad, like a, an iPad or, you know, whatever kind of Mac or whatever device. he's using device. Yeah. I've had to, yeah, I'm still kind of working through that and I'm really coming to embrace it for sure. 
Um, and he's not a kid that's into gaming, so I don't feel that he's going to go down that. And not that yeah. that's bad, but as a kid, as someone who doesn't game, the idea of my kid stuck on a device gaming and things, he's very physical and outdoors anyway. So he has a lot of that. But yeah, how do you approach that? Like, what does that look like? Well, in high school, it's a little bit more of a challenge than with my own kids who are in middle school. They can, like, at middle school, it's like you have an hour on your iPad a day. And even that, that's sort of a newish thing. It used to be an hour on the weekends. And then they were actually really honest with me last night. I started being like, you guys keep sneaking in and like grabbing your iPads. We have a cupboard that we keep them in, that we charge them in. And then finally, one of my sons was like, well, you forgot to turn on our timers because they used to have timers that they couldn't access like their games and this and that. And like, you forgot to turn it on. And I was like, well, that, that took a lot of courage because you said that right in front of your brothers. Like you're throwing all three of you right under the bus <laughs> and uh, we'll see how they react. And they were all like, yeah, we were doing this. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm we just need to have a conversation. And I, I think that's a really big thing. Like, let's have some conversation conversations about why you want to use it and what you want to use it for. And and they did. And I, I wasn't angry. I was like, I'm disappointed that you've been doing this and didn't tell me earlier, but let's talk about why. And I think keeping those lines of communication open, like my eldest son, I actually um, allowed him to sign up for Discord when he was 12. Because I, I remember hearing an analogy, like you wouldn't just hand your car keys over to a kid at 16, like you would teach them how to drive and social media needs to be yeah. looked at the same way. Yeah. So we did a lot of mentoring, like his Discord account was on my phone as well. I can jump in at any point and, and see what's going on and, and what they're talking about. And we had one instance where he was, I don't really understand Discord, but I guess there's like servers and like little chat rooms and they he was um he was the admin for one of them and someone invited friends in and one guy just started just being an idiot online right like calling people out picking fights and and i was like who is this kid and he's like well i don't know and i'm like okay but you're in charge of this room so you letting them in what does that tell you about the tone you're willing to set and he's like oh and i'm like you need to remove him and he was so cute so he, he wrote the guy and he's like i'm sorry but the way that you're you're talking in my in this server doesn't align with how I want to run it. So I'm going to have to remove you. And like and the guy's like, brah, brah, like what they say to each other, right? You could have, you could have just removed me. You didn't have to write the essay or whatever he said. And he was like, and so then he removed him and he's like, Well, I sort of felt like I I at least owed him. And I loved that because I was like, why did you think that, Bennett? And he said, well, because if it was real life and I was asking to leave somewhere, like he's just he understands, right? Like that's that's cute. You don't just like rage quit things. Um, he's like, yeah, you you need to you need to make sure that people are aware. He goes because like maybe he didn't know he was being offensive, and then he wouldn't he would have done it again to someone else. And it's like, yeah, there's a lot of learning in that. So I think it's constant communication um, with students. Like the one thing that I I do I see in classrooms all the time is like there's the kids like staring down on their phones right when we're trying to teach, and I say to them, I'm like, listen. I understand the addiction. I have it too. Like I get onto Instagram and it's like, bye. Like I, I have blocks that I purposely put for myself so that I can't look at it at, at social media for more than two hours in a day. And I manage six social media accounts um, through school and through like for the library. And this, like some of that is like work related, but if I've done a lot of work that day, then I'm off. Like go out and crochet a little bit more, which I'm trying to learn and go out and, um, you know, go for a walk or like go play ball with the kids. And I, uh, I, I think that's important to model that behavior to our kids. So for me, that's, that's a huge thing is those conversations around that. And don't just like, yeah, sure. You can play. And it's easy. Like, it's really easy to give your kids an iPad for hours and they're out of your hair. And that was one of the things we, like my husband works at home still, um, post pandemic, like his office downsized and like their actual physical space. He's like, yeah, there's not really a desk for me every day, so I can't go in. And for him, it's a lot easier if the kids are quiet for that first hour. Right. And then they go out and they play and, and they want to power down and just like chat with their friends. 
And that's another thing, right? I, this summer we realized we're like, yeah, if they want to talk to their friends, it's not like back in the nineties when I was in high school and you'd pick up a phone and you'd call each other and I'd sit on the phone for six hours. Like you're on a different device and it's not a, like my cell phone isn't just a phone. So now all of a sudden it's like, oh, I have this distraction and this distraction. And, and I had conversations, like I said, last night with the kids, like, do you understand why we're doing this? And my kids are crazy athletic, like you said about your, your kid. And they, I say, yeah, well, you know, you're really athletic and you're, you're playing all this ball and you're making all the school teams and you're doing all this. And why is that happening? They're like, yeah, cause that's, they're just used to it. Like our friends go out and run and they're out of breath in three minutes, but it's like, we're, we can't play on our device. We're not just sitting. We don't have this, you know, lethargic sort of mentality. So we're out and about. So it's huge. Yeah, totally. I love the dialogue piece that you just mentioned around being really open and having the conversation. Um, and also the modeling I think is true too. Like we don't have any devices when we're eating dinner um, or anytime we're eating at the table as a family, there's no devices within reach. Um, no. And if Mia, Mia, the, go on. the only time that we do is if we ask a question and I'm like, oh, we don't know. So we'll yell to Google, like, hey, Google, and we ask our Google and if she doesn't have it. We're like, we say, can we go and get this? And it's only to foster further discussion of what the discussion we're already having. It's like, good. Pull, like pulling out an encyclopedia. Right. Like if, yeah, if we yeah. can't, we don't have a set of encyclopedias. Anymore. That's the only time we have it at the table. And it's only one of mine or my husband's. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, so in the rapidly changing, you know, evolving landscape that we're talking about in ed tech, how do you recommend or what are some, what's some advice you could offer about how to keep up with the latest trends and tools and education technology? Um, and I know you have a website and I know you have an online presence um, are there any particular resources and strategies that you would offer? So I, I was really big on Twitter for a long time. Now X, um, which I don't know. Like, do we X something? Do we tweet something? I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Like, no, thank you. It's a weird um, one. It is a weird one. Um, threads. I got into a little bit too. I like the integration. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of social media and even just like following people, finding people and, and reaching out, like sliding into their DMs, so to speak, to ask questions. There's a lot of people that are really willing to dialogue in that way, yeah. commenting, liking, get, build your algorithm. So you get what you want. Like I remember during the 2016 election um, in the States, I didn't have a single political anything on my feed for the week leading up to that election. Oh, wow. And it's because I really carefully curated who I liked, who I followed, who I stopped and I read things for. I'm like, nope, don't want this. This is not where I want to go. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's really important. The one thing I really also like to do, like I, I've mentioned ISTE a few times, right? Like the big conference that, um, happens in the States usually in, um, oh, at, yeah. the, at the end of June. Um, I, I didn't go this year. I was going to go. And then our graduation here at the school got flipped and I am CR grad. And it would have meant that like, I could go for a day and like, this doesn't make any sense. So I, I bowed out, but I just followed the hashtag, like hashtag SD, hashtag not at SD. So if you know that there's conferences going on, if there's one, you're like, oh, I'd really like to go there, but I can't financially, or the timing doesn't work. Go on to social media, be it TikTok, be it um, Instagram, be it Twitter X, um, be it threads and follow the hashtag. And it's amazing what you can learn from just following what people are sharing. It's it's almost like you're there fly on the wall without actually being present. It's like the cheapest way to go. And even after a conference, if you are there live, I, I often will go back like on a plane ride home or on a drive home if I'm not driving. Um, and I'll read through things and I'll be like, oh, that's a cool one. I'm going to like bookmark that or whatnot. And I, I usually have, um, I use Wakelet, which is like digital bookmarking and it's, I, I love the tool and I just, I save everything to a wake and I just call it like ISTE 2023 and then I can go back and find, in fact, I have a wakelet 
that I do every season that I say cool things I found online in the winter. And every time like I see something on social media, or if you were to share something with me, or someone said something at school, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to go on. And it's literally just online bookmarking. And I go back so I can, I can search in there to be like, oh, there was this thing once that created slide decks using AI. And I just, I search in there and I have it all in one place, right? Like, I think that's, that's the tool. That's the workflow that works for me. So I think that's also really important. Listening to podcasts too, just even if it's not a regular thing, like I got for a long time, I was like, I have to listen to every episode and I have to do this. And I'm like, no, you know what? I'll just, I'll sort of peruse and be like, oh, that sounds interesting. Or today I have a half an hour. I want to go on a walk. Why don't I just, whatever shows up next on my feed, I'm going to listen to. So podcasts are really, really great for that. Um, I have certain ones that for ed tech that I, that I really love. Um, they don't necessarily, I'm, I'm finding since sort of near, like after about a year into the pandemic, I found a lot of the ones that I was listening to, they aren't, they aren't producing as, as frequently as they once were like me, me even, right. Like my podcast, I yeah. haven't done anything since March. Um, I was, I was pretty regular, but people are, are taking hiatus, but like some ones that I like in education, um, are like check this out with Ryan and Brian. They're a couple of educators from um, California. They haven't. They've did a couple over the summer, but they've they've been pretty quiet since. Um, but I uh, got got Tech Ed the podcast with Eric Guys and Nick Johnson is one that they're they're still producing pretty regularly. I really like theirs. Um, Casey Bell's Shake Up Learning podcast is really great. I've done a lot of work with Casey. I like her. Um, the Creative Classroom podcast with John Spencer is another really great one. If you're, if you're, he's really big into AI right now, he was like big maker movement, but he's shifted. So I find a lot of really cool stuff with him. Um, if you're into um, like Chromebooks and using Google, um, John Sawash has one called the Chromebook, the Chromebook classroom podcast. That's um, really good. I'm trying to see what other ones that I have here that are Okay, there's another one called Leading Equity that I really like um, with Sheldon Eakins. If you're not ed tech, but if you're looking at sort of the equity lens of things, and he does a lot of techquity work too, I really like his. Um, the ed tech takeout is um, put out by the Grantwood AEA out of Iowa. I really like listening to theirs. My friend Lynn's on that a lot. Like, there's a there's a whole bunch. Of the House of Ed Tech with Chris Nessie yeah. is one of the originals. That's and what about yours? Yeah, yeah, Shooks is, and- you you got to drop yeah. yours right now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Shooks and Giff, which is like it's my last name's Giffen, so we were, I was Giff, and my old uh, co-host, yeah, Kim Paula Shook was Shooks, and that's what we call it. We're like, no one's ever gonna find this. Who's ever? Our goal was like, maybe we could do fifty episodes and get like five hundred downloads or something. And I, I haven't checked it recently, but last, I, I think I was well over twenty five thousand downloads last time I checked. Maybe awesome. even more than that. I don't know, but I never like I sort of stopped doing that after our first few and we're like, Oh wow, this has a lot of traction. And we would go to conferences and people would be like, that's jokes and gif. And I'm like, hi, uh, which is very strange to me, but very flattering too, to know when I show up somewhere and like, Oh, when are you going to podcast again? I'm like, Oh my gosh, thanks for listening. So fresh air at five is another one that I really like. Now I don't know if Brian's still doing it. He's in BC too, actually. Um, uh-huh. And he, he listens to podcasts and then every day at five in the morning, he goes on a walk and his last like five minutes of his walk, he just recaps in his, and he does a little video. He used to post it on, on Twitter. He recaps, he goes, okay, this is what I learned. And this is one thing that, and a couple things just to help resonate. And so then you would know, it's almost like, you know, Blinkist where they like read like 15 minutes of a book and it gets, so I call them the Blinkist of podcasts. You're like, oh yeah, I want to listen to that one. That sounds interesting. So Brian does the the work for us to weed out what I might want to hear. That's great. And what about your platform? Um, Is how, how, yeah. Tell us just a little bit about your, cause you got to, website and there's a few different links to different things maybe you could just share what that is 
Yeah. So I have virtualgift.com is where I am. It's, it's my very um, neglected website. It's there. I do need to update it. And I always say, Oh, I should update. And then I don't. Um, But I have, I have a whole bunch of different things in there. So I have like my YouTube channel. When I, when I post new videos, I'm going to actually go to it, make sure I I cover everything that I have there. Um, I have my YouTube channel. So when I do instructional videos, I used to do a lot of those in my old job. And anytime anyone asks me, can you show me how to do this? I don't think, I, I think done is better than perfect. So I will sometimes have really polished ones and sometimes be like me, my hair up in a messy bun, like no fancy background and be like, okay, here's what you're going to do. Now click here. And I'm sharing my screen. Cause I'm like, well, if someone's asked me this, someone else might find it helpful. So I do a lot of those. Um, I have some of my ignite talks on there for like some talks that I've, I've done at yeah, keynotes and that I have my sketch noting. I run a sketch noting course often once a year just learning how to sketch note that you can do alongside students or for yourself if it's something that you're interested in as an educator or otherwise like I've had actually industry people friends who have their like marketing people say like can they take the course I'm like yeah I guess I'm like most of my examples are education but if they can transfer that that's fine um I I created an add-on for um to create a whole bunch of documents really quickly (laughs) um so a link to that's there because teachers are always asking me for that they're like how can I like if I want to it's it's to use Docapender, which is an extension that I love. Um, but one of the things you have to do, how Docapender works is you fill out a form and automatically for every kid you check, what you write on that form populates to their single document. So you could share it with all their stakeholders. It's pretty cool. Um, but you have to initially create all of those documents for your kids, which if you have a class of 20, no big deal. But if you're following like hundreds of kids is your yeah. guidance counselor or something like that. You're like, oh, I can't create all these. So I actually decided why my, my one of my like, I'm 40, I want to learn new things. <laughs> um, was I want to learn, I'm using all these apps. I should really learn a little bit about scripting and I don't really yeah. know about this, but like let's go in, posture syndrome, you know, extraordinaire. And so I learned and I did, I call it Franken coding. I took some codes from everywhere and I was like, okay, I want this from this and this from this. And I basically, it's sort of like me with Portuguese. If you give me something in Portuguese to read, I can kind of read it because of my French and my Spanish, my Italian. I took all those through school. But I'm like, I I couldn't write you anything in Portuguese, but I can make sense of it. And that's what it was, hence my Franken coding. Um, but <laughs> basically it what it does is it creates a use you in a spreadsheet, right? All the kids' names, it's nothing special, um, but it was something that I did. And I was pretty proud of given that I have, like I'm an English teacher, right? <laughs> like yeah, yeah. it's not, yeah, it's not anything. And the resources, like anytime I do a, a presentation, I like to just throw it up there because people are always like, oh, do you have it? I'm like, yeah, just go to virtualgift.com. And I'm big on sharing. I'm big on like, if anyone asks me for it for free, I will send it to them. Um, it shouldn't be like education and reaching yeah. young minds should not be cost prohibitive. It's just, that's not fair. Yeah. I love it. Um, I love your energy, and I've been—I've really enjoyed listening to you today. I've actually already, as you were talking, typed a couple of things into my uh, address bar there in Google to uh, to make sure that I can follow up, and I'll be listening again uh, as I go through it. So, yeah, thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, your knowledge on tech, and yeah, I honestly really appreciate the enthusiasm and the energy that you bring to it. I think that's really refreshing because there is a lot of concern around chat gpt and just you know all these different tech tools that are flooding uh the classrooms these days or maybe not the classrooms necessarily but teachers brains um so yeah, yeah. so thank you and so much yeah thanks for having me it was great I, I love chatting it's been a while since i i have been on a podcast or done podcasting myself so it's i i do i love connecting with educators all around just to to hear what what other people are thinking and when where people's heads are at right now how we can reach our kids so thank you very much for having me Yeah, you're welcome. And hopefully this will be a little inspiration for someone listening to set up their own podcast studio in their school. Um, Because as a podcaster, I really appreciate that. It's great. Yeah, thank you so much, Jen. 
Thanks for joining us on The 21st Century Teacher, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Please do subscribe so you don't miss out on the next show. And also, don't forget to check out our fantastic online learning platform, which is liveit.earth. Thanks again, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.